Chapter Fourteen of Bunyip Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bunyip Land by George Manville Finn. Chapter Fourteen: How a Strange Visitor Came to Camp. Jack seemed very little the worse after a good night's rest, that is to say, bodily. He was a little white, and his breakfast did not disappear so rapidly as usual, for, probably on account of his great length and the enormous amount of circulation and support to keep up, Jack Penny used to eat about as much as two ordinary boys. He was, however, evidently a little bit upset in his mind, and he laid this open to me just before starting once more. I say, he said in a low tone, did I seem such a very great coward yesterday, Joe Carstairs? Coward? No, I said, not you. Anyone would have been frightened. But I hollered so, whispered Jack. I don't think a young fella ought to holler like a great girl. I know I should, I replied. There, never mind now. They're all ready to start. Come on. Jack Penny shook his head rather thoughtfully, and then, in a dissatisfied, dreamy way, he walked on with me, shouldering his gun and stooping more than ever, so that it seemed as if he were looking for something which he could not find. We had to pass pretty close to the crocodile, so close that Jack nearly stumbled over it, and a cry of horror involuntarily escaped him as he jumped aside. Then, turning scarlet with annoyance, he gave the monster a kick and darted back holding his nose, for it was exhaling a most offensive musky odor. I looked at the creature closely and with some curiosity, thinking the while how much smaller it was than those we had seen in the lagoon. All the same, though, it was fully as big in body as a man, though double the length. It was not going to poison the air long, for already it was covered with something red, and a long red line extended from it right away into the jungle. Every tiny red object was an ant, and from experience I knew that very soon every particle of flesh would be devoured. Keeping within easy reach of the river, we journeyed steadily on, finding the country grow more beautiful at every step. The trees were bigger, the bamboos taller and more feathery. In the sunny patches, flowers were in abundance, and we had no want of opportunities for supplying our larder. Large, pheasant-like birds with long tails and crests and plumage of the most beautiful tints being plentiful. It seemed a pity to shoot them, but it was a necessity, for our supply of powder, shot, and ball was looked upon by us as so much condensed meat, ready to be expanded when opportunity served. We encountered nothing particular that day except Jip, who turned up all at once with a piece of furry skin in his mouth, all he had been able to carry of some deer that he had run down and at the sight of his friend Jack Penny became more himself, throwing off a good deal of his gloom. In fact, I saw the tears stand in his eyes as he saw him once more. But catching sight of me looking at him, he scowled, and running to the dog, 
kicked him over and over again, quite savagely. "'Just you run away again,' he drawled angrily, "'and I'll about kill you. That's what I'll do with you.' Jip closed his eyes and winced and crouched down close to the ground till his master had ceased punishing him. Then he rose dejectedly and followed quite in the rear of our party, with drooping head and tail. I noticed at the time that Jimmy had watched all of this with sparkling eyes, wonderfully intent, but I thought no more of it until I saw the black glance at us all in turn and then begin to slink back. What is he after now, I said to myself, and stepping aside among the thick leafage, I let our party go by and stopped to see what Jimmy was about to do. I had not long to wait, for the fact was that the black had snatched at the opportunity to tyrannize over something. He had been summarily checked when amusing himself by sticking his spear into the New Guinea men, and as we have seen, one of them resented it. But here was a chance. Jip had been beaten and had cowered down under his master's blows, so Jimmy took out his waddy, and after glancing forward to see that he was not observed, he waited until Jip came up slowly and casting sidelong looks at the Australian, who gave him a heavy thump on the ribs with the war club. "'Bad bunyip dog! Good for nothing! Dirty dingle dog!' cried Jimmy. "'Go long! Bad for good dog! Get... yah!' This last was a terrific yell of fear and pain for instead of cowering down and suffering himself to be beaten and kicked, Jip knew that this was not his master. For one moment he had stood astonished at the blow, then seemed puzzled by the strange broken English objurgations. Then with a fierce snarl he darted at the black and tried to seize him by the legs, an attack which Jimmy avoided by making a tremendous spring, catching at a horizontal branch above him, and swinging himself up into a tree where he crouched like a monkey, showering down angry epitaphs upon the dog as it barked and yelped at him furiously. I came out of my hiding place laughing till the tears ran down my cheeks, and the noise made by Jip brought back the doctor and Jack Penny, the latter taking in the situation at a glance and indulging in a broad grin. Take away, bunyip dog! "'Take him away, or Jimmy kill him!' cried the black. "'All right,' said Jack Penny. "'Come down and kill him, then.' But Jimmy showed no disposition to move, and it was not until Jack had ordered the dog away that the black dropped down, looking at me very sheepishly and acting like a shamefaced child. As we proceeded further into the interior, wild creatures grew more abundant, and we saw fewer traces of man having traversed these regions. As I noted the various objects, I could not help feeling how my father must have reveled in exploring such a naturalist paradise as this, and I grew more hopeful as the idea gained ground in my mind that very likely he was busy in the interior still pursuing his researches. We traveled very little way now without catching glimpses of some of the occupants of these wilds. Perhaps it was but a glimpse but generally we were able to distinguish what it was that darted through bush, tree, or shadowy glade. Once or twice we caught sight of the spots of leopards, 
Then a graceful deer would stand at gaze for a moment before going off like the wind. Once a herd of heavy buffalo started up before us and crashed through the undergrowth. And at last, as we drew near a great tree, the doctor said, pointing upward, No fear of our wanting food, Joe, while there are such birds as these. As he spoke, with a noise like a whirlwind, a flock of great pigeons took flight. Great fellows, three times as big as ordinary pigeons, and as we know from those shot in Australia, splendid eating. The great tree offered so pleasant a camping place that we decided to pass the night there, and after a look around to see if there was likely to be danger lurking near, the fire was lit, the blacks setting to work at once to collect wood when they had put down their burdens. When food was prepared and a hearty meal enjoyed, the restful sensation that came over us after the day's exertions being most delicious. Then one by one our followers dropped to sleep. Jack Penny, who was still rather grumpy, last. The doctor and I were sitting together by the fire that night, talking in a low voice about our plans, and agreeing that we could not do better than wander on and on through the wilds until we learned some tidings of the lost man, when suddenly my companion laid his finger on his lips and bent forward as if listening. I listened too, thinking the while how strange it all looked about us, with the fire casting weird shadows all round, while the silence now was almost appalling. "'Nothing, Joe,' said the doctor, dropping his hand. "'I thought I heard something.' I'm sure I did, I whispered, with a strange feeling upon me that it would be dangerous to speak aloud. There are curious sounds heard sometimes in forests, he said thoughtfully. There, go on. What were we talking about? As he spoke, there was a strange rushing noise, then a peculiar whining sound, not far distant among the trees. What can that be, doctor? I whispered. Can't say, Joe. Sounds as if some animal had been climbing along a branch, or had bent down a sapling, then let it fly up again with a loud whish among the trees. That is just how it sounded to me, I said, gazing full in his eyes. He remained silent for a few moments, not listening, but thinking. We must take a lesson from our friend Jack Penny there, he said, smiling in my face as he stroked his broad beard. I must confess, Joe, to feeling a curious sensation of awe as we sit out here in this primeval forest, surrounded by teeming savage life, but Jack Penny sleeps coolly through it all, and, as I say, we must take a lesson from him and get used to these strange sounds. There it is again, I said, catching his arm, and unable to control the feeling that at any moment something might spring out of the darkness upon my back for the same curious rustling of leaves came whispering from among the trees, and then there was a low expiration of breath, as if some great beast had yawned. Click-click, click-click, sounded loudly on the night air, and I followed the doctor's example, cocking both barrels of my piece. It's coming nearer, whatever it is, said the doctor in a low tone, and that strange noise means, I think, that it is some great serpent. But would serpents be out at night, I said? 
That one was the other night, Joe, and we must not reckon upon the regular habits of animals if we light great fires in their lairs. We sat listening again, and the rustling sound began once more. It's just as if the thing were climbing along trees that are not strong enough to bear it, I said in an excited whisper, and they keep flying up after it passes. Hush, said the doctor. We listened, and from out of the darkest part before us there arose a loud, tearing sound, as if bark was being scratched from a tree trunk. Some kind of beast of the cat family, I should say, whispered the doctor. Psst, be ready, but don't fire unless we are attacked. Just then there was a rush, a scramble, a dull thud, and some creature uttered a sound that sounded like the word howl in a hollow, echoing tone. Again and again there was a low rustling, and then that word, howl, that seemed to come from some great throat, and in imagination I saw in the darkness a pair of fiery eyes and a set of great sharp teeth. Yes, some kind of cat, leopard or panther, said the doctor, but low as his utterance was, it seemed to irritate the creature in our neighborhood, as it kept on the rustling, for there was a harsh exclamation, and the earth seemed to be torn up. Then all at once the sound ceased, and it was perfectly still for quite a quarter of an hour, which seemed an endless time, and then, tired of staring intently into the darkness, and too much excited to be silent, I whispered, "'This night-watching is the hardest part of our work, doctor.' "'Oh, no, my boy.' It makes you a little creepy at first, but as soon as you feel your own power, and how you must alarm these creatures, you'll get used to it. But the fire makes them see us, and we can't see them, I said, in an ill-used tone. Just then there arose from what seemed to be just the other side of the fire one of the most awful cries I ever heard, and my hair felt as if a tiny cold hand were stirring it about the roots, while a curious sensation ran down my back. As the fearsome howl rang out, the doctor leveled his piece, ready to fire, and as the fire shone full upon him in his half-kneeling position, there was something terribly earnest in his face, and he looked so brave that it seemed to give me a little courage, just when I seemed to have none. "'Pick up some of those thin branches and throw them on the fire,' said the doctor." and I hurried to obey his command, when there was another awful howling roar, and the creature, whatever it was, charged at me. But I threw on the branches all the same, when the fire leaped up with a tremendous blaze, lighting the forest all round. "'See it, doctor?' I whispered. "'No,' he answered. "'It keeps in amongst the trees.' The doctor's voice sounded so hoarse and strange that it added to my trepidation. He stopped, and I wanted him to go on talking, but he remained silent, while once more the forest resounded with the hideous cry of the beast. The wood blazed well, so that I could see, as it were, a circle of light, and behind us our black shadows were thrown upon the trees, quite startling me as I looked round. "'Keep up the fire,' whispered the doctor. "'Whatever it is, it will not attack while there is this blaze.' I obeyed him and kept on throwing twigs and boughs that had been laid in a heap ready, but with a curious sensation of dread the while, 
for it seemed to me that if the fire consumed all our wood we should be left at the creature's mercy. All at once it seemed to me that the rustling and snuffling noise was coming round to our left, and as if I had drawn his attention to the fact the doctor exclaimed, Yes, it is coming on here. Keep round this way. We edged round the fire so as to keep it between us and the animal that seemed to be watching us, when all at once the sound came from close behind us, and, as if moved by one impulse, we bounded past the fire. The pieces I had held in my hand made a crackling blaze and shower of sparks. This seemed to excite our assailant, which uttered three hideous roars at intervals, and each seemed nearer than the last, so that we were driven to keep on edging round the fire, so as to keep it as our shield. We walked slowly round the fire three times, fully aware of the fact that the creature was regularly stalking us, for it kept up the scratching, rustling noise and howled at intervals. This was trying enough to our nerves, but when, all at once, every sound ceased, and we stood there by the ruddy blaze, it seemed terrible to know that our enemy was close at hand but not to know exactly where. At any moment we felt that it might spring upon us, and I turned a wistful look upon the doctor, which he responded to by saying, Throw on more wood. I obeyed him, and the blaze flashed up higher once again, spreading a cloud of sparks on high to rise among the leaves and tinge the broad branches with a ruddy golden glow. I gazed in all directions for the danger, and started with nervous trepidation every time the doctor spoke, his words being generally, throw on more wood. But at last, after a terrible period of anxious silence, he whispered my name. Yes, I said. This can't go on much longer. I'm afraid the beast is coming nearer. Can you see anything on your side? Yes, n no, n yes, I think so, I whispered back. There's a shadowy something just at the edge of the light. I think it is some kind of wild beast. Is it the dog? he whispered back. No, I said. Jip always sleeps close to his master. Do you think you could take steady aim at it, my lad? he said. I don't know, I replied, but I will try. Shall I fire at it? Let me think, he answered. I don't know whether it would be wise to fire and perhaps only wound the creature. But perhaps I shall kill it, I said. It is doubtful, Joe, he replied, and the noise of your peace would bring out our people, perhaps into danger. Let us wait. Here, he said, I have it. This beast has been cautiously following us round, always keeping out of our sight. I think now that the best way will be for you to continue the retreat round the fire while I stop here on one knee. The beast will then follow you and I shall get a good, certain shot at him. I did not like the idea at all, for it seemed like setting a trap and making me the bait. But I said nothing beyond intimating that I would do as he wished, and he went on. I shall be certain to hit the brute, but I may not kill. So be ready to fire in turn. You will get a good chance for a sure hit. The animal will be less cautious. Stop a minute, I said. I thought at first this 
would be very dangerous for me. Now I see that it'll be more dangerous for you. Let's keep together. Do as I bid you, he replied sternly. Now go on around, as if trying to keep the fire between you and danger. Fire quickly if you have a good chance and don't miss. But first of all, let's try the effect of a firebrand or two in the direction you think you saw the brute. He picked up a piece of blazing wood and gave it a whirl round his head. The result was to bring a fierce roar from the wood close behind us, and we involuntarily sprang to the other side of our fire. There's no knowing where to have the beast, muttered the doctor, as he realized the cunning, sneaking habits of our enemy. As he spoke, he stooped and picked up another blazing piece of wood, for he had dropped the first to bring his gun to bear. Now, holding the gun in his left hand, he gave the blazing wood a whirl round his head and threw it in the direction from which the fierce roar had come. To my horror and consternation it was answered by a savage yell, and something charged out nearly to the fire, but dashed back directly, so quickly indeed that we had no time to get more than a sharp shot apiece at the fierce creature. Load again quickly, whispered the doctor, and I obeyed him, listening the while to the rustling, crackling noise at a little distance. Do you think we hit it? I said softly. I was afraid to speak aloud, lest it should bring down a charge upon us. I'm afraid not, he replied, as he reloaded, and then stood scanning the edge of the circle of light formed by the fire's glow. There was nothing visible but what seemed to be a dark opening amongst the trees, through which it appeared to me that our enemy must have passed. Then we waited, watching so excitedly for the next attack that the fire was, for the moment, forgotten. Then, seeing the glow it cast become less, we both seized upon armfuls of wood and threw them on, deadening the flames so that the space around us was comparatively dark. That was the most anxious time of all, for, do what we would, the fire sent forth huge volumes of smoke but would not blaze. At any moment it seemed that the great beast might take advantage of the gloom and spring upon us, and we shook the ends of the burning branches and half-consumed pieces of wood, but in vain. Instead of the light glow, there was comparative darkness, and in despair, as if again moved by the same impulse, we ceased troubling about the fire, and stood with hand on trigger, ready to pull at the first chance. Then all at once there was a vivid tongue of flame cutting right through the thick smoke, another and another, and I uttered a sigh of relief as the heap of smoldering boughs and leaves burst once more into a blaze. Now while the light lasts, let's have a good shot at the brute, said the doctor, speaking as if nerved to desperation by the torture under which we both writhed. I'm going to kneel here, Joe. You walk on, and that will make the tiger, or whatever it is, show itself in watching you. It isn't a tiger, I whispered. I caught sight of it, and it looked more like a man. The doctor gave me a quick look, and then said sharply, Go on. I obeyed him walking backwards round the fire, my piece ready so as to get a shot if I saw the creature again. But this time all remained perfectly still, 
and though I went right round the fire, no sound came from among the trees. Take a piece of burning wood and throw it opposite to where you stand, Joe. I did so, and the blazing wood described an arc fell in a tuft of dry undergrowth which burst out into a vivid column of light for a few minutes and died out. But there was no charge, no roar from our enemy, not even the rustling of the bushes as it passed through. It's very strange, Joe, whispered the doctor. Pile on more wood. I obeyed him, and this time it caught directly, and there was a tremendous blaze, but no attack followed, and we stood listening for some sound of the enemy in vain. You must have shot it, I said, speaking with some confidence. Or else you did, Joe, said the doctor. I shook my head, and we remained listening for quite a quarter of an hour, but still in vain. The silence in the forest was now awful, and though we strained our eyes till the fire across which we looked dazzled them, we could see nothing to cause alarm. "'Either it's dead or it's gone off, scared by our fire,' said the doctor at last. "'And now that we had time to think,' he continued, with a smile, "'I hope we're not going to have many such night watches as this on our expedition. "'I say, though, my lad, how some people can sleep. "'I should have thought that those howls would have wakened anything.' "'Why, hello, Jip, didn't you hear anything? Where's your master?' He stooped and patted the dog, which came trotting up to us, and then yawned and stretched himself out. "'Here I am,' said Jack Penny, involuntarily imitating his dog. "'Here, where's that chap Jimmy? He was to watch with me, wasn't he? Is it time?' "'Time? Yes,' I said impatiently. "'You ought to have been here two hours ago.' You'll have to look out, won't he, doctor, for that tiger or wild man? Yeah, stuff, said Jack with a sneer. I shan't see no... Hello, what has Jip found? Look, there's something there. We all turned to see the dog, which had picked up some scent about halfway between the fire and the edge of the circle of light. He ran at once to the thick bushes, barked angrily, then followed the scent round and round the fire at a distance of about twenty yards, ending by dashing right off into the forest depths, his bark growing fainter as we listened. "'I say, ought we to follow Jip?' said Jack Penny. "'If we wish to lose our lives,' replied the doctor. "'You see, Joe, it has gone right off.' "'But I don't like Jip to go off after anything and not follow him,' cried Jack Penny. "'He's a good dog, you know.' What is it he's after? Some savage beast that has been haunting us all night, cried the doctor. I should like to follow Jip, but it would be madness, my lads, and... Hark! What's that? I felt cold as a most unearthly howl came from a long distance away. Is... is that him? said Jack, whose eyes looked large and round. That big bunyip said a voice that made us start for jimmy had come up from the dark camp unperceived eat black fellow white man anything no one replied to jimmy's piece of information and we listened for some minutes till a faint rustling heard first by the black who stood ready to hurl his spear made us all place a finger on the trigger but it was only caused by the dog who soon after came into sight with his tail between his legs and his hair bristling with terror.
he ran right to his master and stood behind him, shivering and whining, as he stared in the direction from which he had come. "'Jip see big bunyip!' cried Jimmy. "'Jip find a bunyip!' "'I say,' said Jack, "'it's my watch now. "'I suppose you two are going to lie down.' "'Frightened, Jack,' I said maliciously. "'Perhaps I am, and perhaps I ain't,' said Jack stoutly. "'I should say I felt frightened if I was. "'But if you two were going to watch, "'I wouldn't go away and leave you with a big beast like that about. "'He must be a big one, or he wouldn't have frightened Jip.' who'll tackle old man kangaroos six foot high. You can go if you like, though. This was a long speech for Jack Penny, who rubbed one of his ears in a ill-used way. Jimmy, black fellow, freedom, bunyip. Oh, yes, said my follower. But Jimmy, no run away. We shall not leave you alone, Penny, said the doctor, smiling. It would not be fair. So we stayed with him till day broke and not having heard the slightest sound to intimate the neighborhood of danger, and the dog lying quite still and content by his master. The doctor and I went to get a couple of hours' rest, just as the forest glades were beginning to echo with the screaming of birds of the parrot family. Jimmy, bending over me, and poking me with the butt-end of his spear, almost directly, so it seemed to me, that I had laid down. "'Jimmy hungry,' he said, Gimme damper, breakfast, come long. Did you hear the bunyip any more, Jimmy? I said, yawning. No, bunyip go sleep all a morning, all a day, come a night. How wow! He put his head to one side and gave so marvelous an imitation of the terrible cries I had heard during the night that I felt sure he must know the creature. What is it makes that noise, Jimmy? I said eagerly. Bunyip! "'Big ugly fellow bunyip!' he exclaimed, and I felt so cross and annoyed with his eternal bunyip that I was ready to kick him. But I refrained and went instead to the fire, where the doctor was waiting breakfast after sending Jimmy to wake me up. End of chapter 14 How a Strange Visitor Came to Camp